Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and go there. As we continue our journey through this book that is so different and it's so refreshing because it's coming from a guy that is not really in that Christian bubble that sometimes we find ourselves in. And so he's thinking of things that are kind of sometimes outside the box. And so in one sense, when we go through our study today, we're going to see, first of all, the, the better life. Um, we'll see things that are better. And then we're going to go through the balanced life. Okay. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 7 in verse 1 It says, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. And so we're going to go through, I think there's 10 times in the first uh, nine or 10 verses or so, we just keep talking about how this is better than that. And so a good name is better, it says, than precious ointment. And so the ointment would be the way you smell. Um, in those days, it was important. Nowadays, we take showers. You guys take showers every day, right? You put deodorant on. More than likely, you, especially here in America, it's different than other places in the world. Uh, it's not like that there. And so the ointment was very special to them. But um, a good name is better than smelling good. Like Kind of like, if I could say it this way, like being good, being godly is more important than, than smelling good. And sometimes you get somebody and they're kind of stinky and you're like, well, I, wouldn't, I don't want to be around them and you run the other way and we shouldn't have that attitude. You know, but in, in one sense, we kind of get repelled by those who maybe are not loving, not Christ-like. And so the good name is not just the way our name rolls off our lips, but it's the way we as a person roll, the way that we live our lives. When people think of you and your name, there's like this Christian character, connotation, connection. I mean, they mention your name and it's just like a good feeling inside because of the fact that, you know, in one sense, you know, you're, you're, you've made that, you've lived that. Um, you know, perfume and cologne are nice. Uh, to smell good is nice, but to be good is, is better. And that's what he's saying right here. A good name is better than precious ointment. There's a big difference between David and Saul. There's a big difference between, you know, um, Peter and Judas, what they did with their life. And so live that life. Um, and then we see the second part is interesting. It says the day of death for believers, obviously, is better than the day of one's birth. And so I think about that, you guys. I think that that's a huge verse that maybe some people would struggle with. You, you're the day of death is better than the day of birth. I mean, we normally don't see it that way. You find out that someone's born and you get all excited about it, right? They had a baby, well, and you, you know, we put their picture up and stuff. But then when someone dies, everybody's sad. Now, it's an understanding because we lose them. But when you really start looking at what the Bible says, it's very interesting. You know, the Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So when the Lord looks at it, think about it, he sees it, and to him it's like, wow, you know, they've come home now. And then we have to see it that way. It's very important for us. Uh, Heaven is our home. And I remember reading about, I think it was Cain and Abel or some of the guys there in the early days, and, you know, guilty of murder. Um, There was another one that followed him, Lamech. and, uh, And the sentence was he was banished, and then... You know, he says something like, um, then I'm going to be seen as a vagabond. Then I'm going to be seen as a fugitive. 
And so like, it was like this was his home, but now he's getting kicked out of his home. In one sense, he's running from his home. Now, for us as Christians, you got to see we're not homeless. We are on this side of time. Um, we're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors of heaven in a foreign land. But our whole life is a pilgrim's progress. Our whole life is a journey to go home. Think about that. And so we're not vagabonds, we're not fugitives, we're not homeless, we're not running, you know, away from something. We are running to, we are walking to our home. And that's why Solomon, what he says right here is so important. I hope that, and I know it's hard, don't get me wrong, but when that person's a Christian, I mean, think about it, it better than the day that they're, they're born is the day that they die because we know he is Christians, it's not death, it's just a departure. And so prayerfully, we know that, you guys. Uh, something else that's better, in verse 2, better to go to the horse house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. And so believe it or not, like how many of you here would say, I want to live a better life? I want to live a better life. Then you start looking at these things. Well, a, better, a good name is better than smelling nice, even looking nice. Character, connotation, you're like Christ. When they think of you, they're like, that person is lovely because you have a good name. You know? More important than the way you smell or look. You know, the, the, way, the, the day of death is, is better than the day of birth. And you've got to let that sink in because it's true. And then it says right here, it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a feast. I remember one gal... She used to like going to funerals, you know, and I don't know why. I mean, funerals are touching, huh? You know, you get to see the life of an individual and, uh, you know, the memories and there's something about it that's kind of cool. But, but the, he gives the reason here that, that what happens when you go to a funeral, he says, because that's the end of all men. Eventually, we're all going to die and the living will take it to heart. You know, attendance at funerals is better than attendance at feasts because people will be reminded of their mortality and hopefully they'll take it to heart. The New Living Translation put it this way, for you're going to die and you should think about it while there is still time. And so that, does, that goes for all of us, just in case you're here and you're like, well, it doesn't really apply to me because I'm a Christian. No, it, it does apply to us as a Christian because when I go to a funeral, again, I'm reminded that I don't have tomorrow guaranteed. You know, that guy was in a car accident. That one had a heart attack at the age of 46. You know, that one, you know, unexpected something can happen. You're reminded of that. And then I think about the day that I'm going to stand before Jesus. And you just really think about that day. And when you have that day in your heart, then it helps me to live today for him, you know? And so uh, it's better to go to funerals than, than feasts. Uh, verse 3, it says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. Now think about that. The heart is made better. Heavy. You know, because we think laughter is great, and I want entertainment, and I want pleasure, I want fun. And it's cool, it has its place, but God here teaches us that sorrow is actually better for us. It's actually better for our heart. Think about that. It says in verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. 
And so we usually don't like sorrow. We don't want pain. Uh, we don't want the difficulties. We don't want the tragedies, the calamities, and all that kind of stuff, you know. But at the end of the day, it builds character. It really does. You know, and I know it's cliche, but no pain, no gain. You see an individual, never gone through anything, never hit, you know, those types of trials, they're superficial. But when you go through the difficulties and you go through the heartaches and you go through the heartbreaks and you go through the letdowns and you go through whatever it is, you know, you had to struggle to make ends meet, it makes you a better person. And that's what he's saying right here. You know, the, the laughter um, is not necessarily saying that laughing is bad. As a matter of fact, I have a joke for you guys. I'm just joking. I don't. I wish I did. I should have thought of one, huh? A knock, knock. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> laughter is good. I love laughter. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily talking about, like, beautiful, like, fun, loving laughter, having a good time. How many of you here would say God likes it when we laugh. You know, God loves it when we smile. I, I think he does. I, I think part of it, though, what Solomon is saying here is just the part that where we're talking about the party life, the pleasure life, where it's all about the entertainment life. Like I was talking to, I, you know, talking to the different overseers. I say, it's cool to have a fun event. You have your fun event. Go to Magic Mountain. But, you know, you also have maybe a, an event where you go, you know, do something, you serve somebody, you know, there's that aspect of party and pleasure and entertainment and fun. But then there's that part where we just, we go through the trials, we go through the sorrows, we go through the pain. That's why James chapter one, verse two, it says, count all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance, it produces patience. So just know this, you guys, that when you go through the hard times, that it's actually better, it's actually good for you. And I've seen it through the years. I've seen individuals who go through the fire and the wisdom is forged there in the fire. You know, the passing of a loved one, you know, that was unexpected, that didn't make any sense, you know, that has made them a stronger Christian. Or maybe that individual, they lost everything. They lost that, you know, whatever, that dream and then they found out that even though they lost everything, that Jesus is all they need. You know, those people, you're going to find they're not superficial because they've gone through much suffering. Uh, Pastor Rawl, he says this all the time. He says that God cannot really use a person greatly unless he hurts them deeply. And I don't know if it's necessarily God doing the hurting, but I do know it's God allowing the hurting. As he allows it, he works deeper inside of us. And so don't run. Don't be discouraged by those things. Let God work in those times. Warren Risby said, the better life involves some bitter things, such as sorrow and rebuke. But the bitter life can make life better. Verse 5, it says, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. And so I want to live a better life. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better pastor. You know, you start looking at things like this. Okay, so this is how it's done. It's better to hear the rebukes of life. You know, and uh, some people don't like being around people who 
correct them or who rebuke them. And they run away from anyone who would make them feel a little bit uncomfortable or really kind of point things out. And, and so you will never live a better life. You have to, as a matter of fact, we've gone through the Proverbs, you have to embrace those rebukes. You have to embrace those corrections. Would you rather be serenaded with a lie or corrected in love? And I know a lot of people, they, I'd rather hear the song. <laughs> I'd rather hear the good music that sounds good to my ears, that tickles my ears, that makes me feel good, that tells me how good I am serenaded with those songs. And cool, that's fine. There are some people, they're going to live their whole life like that. But what, he, what he's saying right here is it's better to hear the rebuke of a, of a friend. The faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy, that's deceitful. And so he says, talks about the, the crackling of thorns under a pot. And so you know, you get the wood that you need to to you know, cook and you get the fire going under the pot. But if there's no wood available and all you got are these thorns, they, they burn really qu- quick and you can't really accomplish your purpose. And that's kind of what happens when all you're interested in is the, the random music, sometimes even the wasteful music. But what if we became a people who actually craved correction? Every once in a while, you'll find an athlete like that. They're like, don't, don't tell me how good I am. Don't, you need to look at me and watch my game and tell me where I can improve. And when a, when a guy gets that, when a gal, sister gets that heart, like, I want to know how I can grow. I want to know the areas I fall short in. He says, that's the better life than the one who's, oh, I had a boy. Oh, you're so good. Oh, you're the best. You're the, the, you know, the, the best thing since sliced, you know, bread or whatever, I don't know, and they give you all the compliments, and that's cool, you know, and words of encouragement, but in all honesty, you're, you're not going to grow unless you hear these rebukes. Imagine if we craved it, if we craved that correction. Verse 7, it says, surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. The, the word oppression, it, it may be in reference to extortion. And so this is an interesting verse. There's a couple of different thoughts on it. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason. And some people believe that when a wise man sees the oppression going on, that it drives him crazy. So there are those who have that view. But there are others who see it more like when you get this guy who has uh, kind of like the power, the word oppression would be more like extortion, um, where you can extortion, where you had, can actually you know, muscle yourself and then getting your way and getting your money, because it kind of goes with the context. Notice again, and a bribe debases the heart. So you put a guy in a position, and what ends up happening sometimes is it gets to their head, and then they start pushing people around and they get their way, they get their power, they get their money and the bribe, it does the same thing. And so what he's saying right here is be careful with that. Uh, one commentary said Solomon is saying that the temptation to prosperity could even corrupt the heart of a wise man. He might give in to bribery. Moreover, he could succumb to the pressures of adversity uh, meaning of this word rather than extortion might turn him into a fool. And we see the damage there 
in verse 7 that it destroys a wise man's reason and it debases the heart. And I think in, in many ways, just I, I know it's hard, maybe all that's a bunch of noise. Be careful of power, be careful of money, be careful of possessions and positions because it could ruin an individual. We got to keep our eyes on the Lord. We have to make sure if God ever gives you any responsibility, authority, or that type of stuff, that we know that he is the one that is the head of the church, of our lives, of this world. Verse 8, it says, The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And so, so the end of a thing being better, um, I don't know. How many of you here, you like to start things but not finish them? I'm just curious. I got like 27 books, you know, and I started them, never finished them. I, I was thinking about how, how about when you buy a car and you pay it off? I'll bet you that's kind of a good feeling. Have you guys ever done that? That's a really good feeling. Or maybe, you know, you're in your workout and you're like, I know for me, I always tell my wife when I start working out, I really don't want to do this, but I know I have to. And then when you're done, you know, it's, it's kind of a good thing you finished. Um, maybe even our life, maybe even our race. I was thinking about how in one sense, um, we were talking about earlier how the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. And so there's something about about finishing, you know? The the end of a thing is better than its beginning and and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And so how many of you here would like to cultivate a, you know, being patient in spirit, right? So you know it's better, right? And then we know the ugliness of pride. You know, if there's anything about us that we're, we're proud of in a bad sense, uh, we have to be so careful because we need to know who we are apart from Christ, that we're wretched. I know me, I'm wretched, wicked, miserable, loser, failure, nothing good. I deserve only hell. If there's ever anything that God might do that's a good it, it, through me, it's all him. We don't have anything to be proud of. What do you have? What do we have that God didn't give us? And so, you know, looking at these things, again, the world exalts pride. They, they do. We, we shouldn't. Verse 9, it says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. And I bet you a lot of us here can really um, relate to this verse. Do you ever get angry? Angry at bad drivers, angry at you know your brother, your sister. You know you get angry at, at something if for no, not a good reason. I mean, there is some godly anger. Even God gets angry. It says in Psalm seven eleven, every day with the wicked, there's a godly anger. But sometimes people are just they have it there, and it says right there, it, anger it rests in the bosom of fools, like it's there all the time. And then, boom, all it takes is just a little something, and they explode. He says, if that's you, then you are a fool. That's what he says, that anger rests in the bosom of fools. So whatever you do, don't be quick to anger. It's a huge verse, I think, that can be life-changing. Uh, I always say anger is one letter away from danger, because you just never know what you'll do when you get angry. You could say the wrong thing that could change your life forever. You can do the wrong thing. You could end up in prison. 
because you couldn't control that anger. James 1, 19 through 20, he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So verse 10, it says, Do not say, Why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. And so basically, it's kind of funny how Solomon brings up these funny things, huh? Hey, those were the good old days. You remember when we first started the church and everybody knew each other or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, it's funny how we can have that nostalgia. Um, in, in some ways, maybe we look back and we have some nice memories, but at other times, I think we can glorify the past to, the, to the, basically the, the, the harm of the present, you know, I remember the, uh, the children of Israel when they left Egypt. You know, it says in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. And there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. And so nostalgia, looking back, remembering like things that you thought were so great. And sometimes we kind of distort it. You know, we have a tendency to do that. We forget what really happened then. And in the process, we fail to realize what's happening now. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. They said, we want to go back to Egypt. But what did they forget? What was going on in Egypt? They were slaves. They had taskmasters. They were not free. You know, the, yeah, good food, uh, leeks, onions, garlic, all the stuff that gives you bad breath, but it still tastes good, right? You know, and they said, we want to go back. Imagine that. In their hearts, they did go back. And that's something that we had to be so careful of. But in the process, and looking back, they were missing the present. What were they eating? They were eating angel's food. They were eating manna. And so whatever you guys do uh, as Christians, I encourage you. I love just the words of Jim Elliott. Wherever you are, be all there. Don't look back and say, oh, I wish I could go back. Or don't even look forward and say, hey, I wonder what the Lord has for me, you know, next month or year. No, today. You know, let's not lose sight of what's going on today. They were being fed angel food. You know, uh, imagine. Uh, I don't know how it tasted. Um, I'm not sure. I know we're all into that. But I bet you it was so good for them. You know, and it was God feeding them every single day. And that's what God will do every single day of your life. We see next in verse 11 that wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun, those, those who live. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. And so what word do you see over and over again in these verses right here? Wisdom, yeah. So now he's kind of like emphasizing wisdom. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. So wisdom is a defense 
Um, the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom it gives life. And so wisdom is defined as the application of Bible knowledge, the proper application of Bible knowledge. Not good enough just to know it. You've got to learn how to connect the dots. You've got to learn how to live it. That's a wise guy. That's a wise gal. And so, you know, wisdom with an inheritance. If you don't have an inheritance, if you don't have wisdom, but you get this great inheritance, what's going to happen to that inheritance? You're going to waste it in prodigal living, Right? And so you need wisdom. And you need, uh, what we find right here is it's good with an inheritance. A, a def- it's a defense. It's a shield. And, and wisdom actually, think about this, it gives life to those who have it. And so you, I don't know how long we're going to live. You guys don't know how long your race is. You guys don't, right? So it's not necessarily about the quantity of life. It's about the quality of life. It's not just about the years of your life. It's the life in your years. And when you have wisdom, it gives you life. And that's why it's cool to to read the Proverbs. And that's why it's even cool to study the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the next time you get invited to a funeral or a feast, where are you going to go? You guys are going to go to the funeral, huh? Because now you know. The next time you hear of a Christian person dying, although it's going to hurt, you're going to say, you're going to know, hey, it's better. It's their, their home. You know, I'm not a vagabond without a home. I'm not a fugitive running, you know, randomly. No, I'm a pilgrim. We are all pilgrims on our journey home. And that's why we have to make that type of progress. And so wisdom, it gives life. It says right here, um, for wisdom is a defense, as money is a defense, um, when you use it the right way. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Verse 13, it says, Consider the work of God, for who can make a straight make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. And so in one sense, although it's not like a real neat, nice outline, in one sense, the beginning is more like the better life, like you need to know what's better. And then now we kind of get into the balanced life. And so, you know, verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? We all have, in one sense, our crooked stories, the stories that show how broken this world is. And we wonder why you know, God would allow that abuse. Why would God allow that type of abandonment? Why did God allow you know, my mom to get in a car accident that just changed her life and then my you know, baby brother died? Why the cancer? Why the dysfunctional family? Why the great poverty? Why the headaches? Why the heartaches? Why the heartbreaks? These crooked things that God allows Can I change it? Can't I undo it? He says right here, though, consider it. Consider the work that God is doing. And even in all that, you know, we are his workmanship, right? He's working on us. He's working in us. And he wants to work through us. And he's working, if you really look, and I know we look at the world and we're like, it's going to hell in a handbasket and we think it's all done. But God's still on the throne. 
So we, we stop and, and we consider the work. Who can undo what he does? I know we want to sometimes because we think we know better than God. But, you know, um, if you think about it, and those of you guys who are Christians now, you probably wouldn't change anything because you know that he loves you. And you know that although he didn't author those ugly, crooked things, he allowed it. And for some reason, he's got a purpose through the pain. And so, you know, he says in verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Can you just do that today? Say, hooray. You know, today, maybe you're having a, you know, you're like, man, those stimulus checks, they came right at the right time, you know, or whatever it might be that you're happy about, you know. So it's okay. Be joyful uh, about that. Um, But in the day of adversity, he says, you consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Enjoy the days of prosperity. I believe that you should celebrate jubilation, celebration. Don't don't be one of those who's like, oh, I don't deserve it. I shouldn't be happy, you know, because there are you know poor people on the other side of the world. No, be joyful in those days. But then in the days of adversity, um, you know, let there be some consideration. Consider it says in verse thirteen. Consider it says again in verse fourteen. What does that mean? It means that you stop and and it means that you you think about this. Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? Lord, and we don't always have all the answers, but you know, you stop and, and Lord, is there anything in my life that you want to change? I mean, would we actually have that type of conversation with God or, you know, do you or do I have it all together? Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? What are you trying to teach me? It takes consideration. It takes time for contemplation. It takes deep self-examination. And when you start opening up to the Lord through the difficult times, the adverse times, you realize that he would have never allowed something that hurt so much unless he wanted to do something great in your life. But a lot of times what happens is when we go through the bad times that we don't even take the time to, to, to say, Lord, well, what do you want to do? I mean, even this whole pandemic, you know, we've gone through it and some people, they came out worse. Some people, they came out the same. They're still the same. Prayer life hasn't changed. Bible reading hasn't changed. Living life hasn't changed. Serving hasn't, nothing's changed. They're the same. And you, you mean to tell me you wasted this pandemic that we went through? So when these adverse times happen, what Solomon is saying is, is consider it. You know, take it to the Lord and ask him. He says, even at the end of verse 14, so that man can find out nothing that will come after. And basically what he's saying, good times, bad times, we don't know the future. We don't know. We can't find out for sure. But we know well the one who knows the future. And that's all that matters. Verse 15, it says, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. And Solomon probably had. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. 
And I think we've all seen it, right? Solomon says the wicked live long, the righteous die young, and it's unfair. And, and he uses the word vanity there. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. And the, the wicked, he lives long, the righteous dies young. And if it were just this vain life under the sun, then that would be totally heartbreaking. But of course, we know it's not just this life under the S-U-N. There is a purpose under the S. Oh, and there's more to it. You know, in Psalm 73, we've talked about this many times. Um, my pastor always used to take me to Psalm 73 in the story of Asaph, where he almost stumbled because he saw how everyone else, they weren't even serving the Lord, but they were getting blessed and they didn't deserve it. And they're getting blessed. And here am I, I'm just like this swell guy and I'm not having the same blessings. And he says, I almost stumbled. I almost backslid. I almost fell away until I went into the sanctuary and I saw uh, their end. And so there is life under the S-O-N, not just under the S-U-N. And when you understand that, then all the things in life that you think are unfair and don't make any sense, just know that there's a, a higher purpose. Verse 16, it says, Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish, why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. Now again, we're talking kind of about the balanced life, right? And so don't be too much over here, he says, but don't be too much over here. And it's kind of interesting. I think we understand verse 17 easily, right? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. That makes sense, right? Because when people are there, they die young, a lot of times unnecessarily young. But verse 16, it sounds kind of funny. How can you be overly righteous? How can you be overly wise? And I think kind of what they're saying is here, when you pray, don't pray in the old King James language. Oh, Lord thy God. You know, and you're all holy with the monotone voice or something like that. He's like, you know, because some people, they're like that. They're Christians, and they think, well, the more I grow, the more I got to be weird. No, <laughs> don't be weird. As a matter of fact, you kind of need to be cool, I think. And some of us can do it, some of us can't. But just um, don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wise. How can you be overly wise? When you're not open to counsel, when you're not practical in your Christianity, when your head is in the clouds and your feet are nowhere near the ground. And so again, I think Solomon here is giving us you know, that balance. Some might perceive that, oh, I can't believe you went to the Dodger game and you know, they think it's wicked. And it's not wicked. It's okay. I mean, I think the Dodgers are cool. I don't know how you guys feel. Um, I think that when we see in the New Testament about people who are overly righteous, who was it? The Pharisees, right? And that's what he's saying. Don't be a Pharisee. Because they were the, they were the ones that Jesus had the hardest time with. You know, let your Christianity be balanced. Let your Christianity be loving. Uh, just let it be like natural but supernatural. And you know, that's how God wants us to live. I think verse 18, it kind of teaches us the balance of both. You know, verse 19, it says, Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city, for there is not a just man on earth who does good 
and does not sin. And so um, rulers or judges or elders or politicians or even soldiers, it, it matters not what the position is or what title they may have. If they all lack wisdom, then the city will be weak. Wisdom is what strengthens a city. Wisdom is what strengthens a community. Wisdom is what strengthens a family. And so where he says wisdom strengthens the wise more than 10 rulers of the city, if you connect it to verse 20, because it has the word for, it says for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. And more than likely what he's saying right here is that let's just say you had 10 guys, 10 elders, 10 judges, 10 politicians, and they were trying to make a city better, but they did not know the Lord. Okay, so um, maybe there's an aspect of morality there. Maybe there'll be like a good, nice community there, and you got a park or whatever the case may be. But, But at the end of the day, if you're not saved, and that's what he says there, if you're not saved, then um, verse 20, there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. If you're not saved, eventually there's going to be the selfish interests. Eventually there's going to be the inclination towards evil. If you're not saved, do you understand this? That you, are an in, you can be an instrument of the devil. So again, the Lord is sovereign. I'm not saying that all politicians or rulers or elders or judges or all that kind of stuff needs to be saved. But I tell you what, the, the, the wise one, the ones who do know the Lord, you know, we, we may sin. We all sin. It says right here, there's not a just man on earth who does not sin, but we do know the Lord. You know, and I don't know how you guys feel about that. I, I was listening to some studies and they're all, you know, happy that this verse came up. Hey, I'm so glad that he mentions the fact that we all sin. I'm so glad that he mentions that because, you know, I sin and now I know that I'm, you know, just one of the guys. And it's true. I mean, yeah, I guess you could say that if that makes you feel better. Um, the Bible says everybody sins. But, but I think that for us in, in reading this, don't look at it as a license to sin. Look at it as a reality of life. Um, we all do sin, right? How many of you here, anyone here not doesn't sin? You could sin by raising your hand. There's a sinner right there. <laughs> we all sin, right? Even John the Beloved, it's interesting. He wrote about that after being a Christian for 70 years. He said, he who says he doesn't sin, who has no sin, the truth is not in him, right? And so if there was anyone who could reach sinless perfection, it had to be John the Beloved, but he couldn't reach it. So we all do sin, but I don't think the verse here is teaching us that's, you know, it's okay. We try not to. Try not to, you guys. Try not to think that bad thought. Try not to say that bad word. Try not to do that bad deed. Try not to disappoint or grieve the Holy Spirit. We try not to. Of course, we will, but we try not to. Verse 21, it says, Also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. 
And so, uh, Wiersbe, I like the way Wiersbe put it. He said, Solomon recommends that you do not take to heart everything people say. Proud people are alert to what others say about them and quick to react and retaliate. This keeps the fires burning and robs everybody of peace and joy. Spurgeon said this, you cannot stop people's tongues and therefore the best thing to do is to stop your own ears and never mind what is spoken. So let me, you mean, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But do you guys ever worry about, oh, they're probably talking about me. You guys ever worry about that? Hopefully you don't. Who cares? People are going to talk about me. It doesn't matter to me. And even if I've overheard somebody talking about me, you know, in a negative way behind my back, you know what? I'm okay with that because I know that I fall short. I know that I've failed many times. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Try not to. I hate gossip. I hate it. You can ask my wife. We just try never to say anything negative about anybody. Uh, You know, I mean, even in front of their face. I mean, you know, we do talk about correction. um, But, you know, if someone says something and you hear it, no big deal. That's what he's saying right here. Verse 23. All this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it? I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and, and madness. And, and I, it's an interesting, with this whole section right here, Psalmist says, I, I, I will be wise. You know, notice again, verse 23. He actually said that, I will be wise. How many of you here want to be wise? I'm just curious. You want that. Isn't that a goal that you should have? And so it's a good goal. But Solomon here has noticed it was far and not easy to attain. But he worked hard and he researched and he toiled and he sweat over his effort. And even there in verse 25, he says, I applied my heart to know, to search out, and to seek out wisdom. And here it is. And the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and and madness. And so, interesting, um, we're not 100% sure what Solomon meant by that. But basically, he wanted to know everything that was going on. He wanted to know about what's going on out there, you know, not to be unaware, kind of like we've been talking about, the sons of Issachar. But also, it seems to indicate that he wanted to know why those people do what they do. It kind of reminded me of when the Lord appeared to Saul. I remember what Saul was doing. Saul was persecuting Christians. Saul was arresting men and women and throwing them into jail. Saul was just, man, he was working so hard And when Jesus appeared to him, remember what Jesus said? Saul, Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? So why are you doing what you're doing? And I always go back to that for me personally. And I I could be off, but I I think about this. And I bet you behind all the the craziness, behind the guys that are doing that and this and that and the other, there's a lot of times there's reasons behind it, you know? Um, Saul here, um, we don't know what kind of dad he had. We don't know what kind of upbringing he had. We don't know what kind of, you know, experiences that he had, um, you know, how he's trying, you know, to please whoever it is rather than just really pleasing God. I don't know. All I know is that it's not just, um, you know, they're doing bad things. 
sometimes it's good to know, I wonder why. You guys remember that saying, hurt people, hurt people? That's why they hurt people, because they're hurt. Well, maybe you can reach them and help heal their heart. It's just good to, to know why, to search deep. I think that's what Solomon was, was trying to, to get to. And then in verse 26, And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. And there's different views on that, but I think after kind of researching it and just at the end of the day, he's talking about the, the sexual temptation, you know, that, that woman, that fatal attraction, um, you know, guys, uh, and of course it can happen to girls too, but, you know, be so careful. Stay pure. I mean, it's very simple. Please, you know, don't start feeding the flesh with pornography or looking at things or that you shouldn't look at. Um, and, and, you know, because what ends up happening is it becomes a snare. You're always going to want more. Please, I beg of you, and I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm just saying, you know, you wait until you get married. And then when you stay, when you get married, you stay faithful to your spouse in every single way. Because otherwise, and I've talked to men, I've been in counseling with couples and many years as a pastor, talking to different people. Pornography is, is demonic, it is demonic. These are chains. These are fetters. You know, these are snares. These are traps that you, you have a hard time escaping. Verse 27, it says, Here's what I've found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found found and, and more than likely what Solomon is talking about right here is he says I'm, I'm having a hard time finding one man that I can really trust and I can't find any women that I can trust well it's probably because he had a thousand <laughs> wives man I mean how are these women going to really be friends with him when he has all these things going on but but at the end of the day you know what we see here it wasn't really Solomon uh, not being able to find trustworthy men or women, it, the problem was with Solomon. It, it makes you wonder what was going on in his life. It reveals something about the seeker, doesn't it? I think when you start getting right in your relationship with the Lord and you become a trusting person, you're going to find others like that. Verse 29, it says, Truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So God made man upright. He's not a beast, number one. He wasn't on, you know, fours, and then eventually he started, you know, walking on two legs. No, he made him upright in that he made him in his image. He made him without sin. We read that in the book of Genesis 1 and 2. But after the fall, what do we do? We've fallen short of the glory of God. And we seek out many schemes, many forms of manipulation. We try to get our way. and We're a little underhanded here. And the Lord says, hey, um, be careful. Don't go down your downward paths. It's interesting. The King James uses the word inventions, evil inventions. And so you know, Solomon here, he sees the fall and the calamities of it. 
And for us, you know, that is true. You know, God made us without sin, but what did we do? We all sinned. We all went our own way. But what did the Lord do? He said, I'm, I can't live eternity without you. I don't want to live eternity without you. So God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross and to reconcile us to himself, that every sin we've ever done, past, present, future, was laid on him, and he suffered the punishment that we deserve. He paid the price that we couldn't pay so that we could be saved. A simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have never really understood that, if you've never received the Lord, then today I pray you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God comes into your life, you'll know it. You cannot help but know when God lives inside of you, it's a different life. But you have to say yes to Jesus. You have to say, yes, I'll follow you. And that's the gospel. It's so simple. And we got to know it for ourselves, and we got to share it with the world. Amen.